Well, hello. I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and the seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. To start off, we will look at the Western medicine prognosis and approach to dealing with their diagnosis inside the square. Then, we'll dip our toes a little deeper into their story where we talk about other empowering modalities that worked for those people outside of that square. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. On the show today, we have Andy Herman, who's going to talk about her journey with obesity as a diagnosis and the things that she came across that would help her try to deal with the body that she was not only born with, but what society made her believe wasn't the right kind of body. So we'll be talking about her journey with her weight and what outcome she found was the most beneficial for her, which was lap band surgery. All right. Welcome to the show, Andy Herman. The great thing about me interviewing Andy is that we went to school together. We probably haven't really crossed paths since, have we? Not really. Not really. I guess I am. Um, I sort of well, the, the one time we kind of did cross paths was when I read Electro Girl. And then within, literally within a couple of days of finishing that, I witnessed someone I care about very deeply in, in my family having his first grandma seizure. It was like the timing was freaky. So we had a little bit of chit chat about that. Yeah, the time that was like very poignant. Yeah, it absolutely did because I'd actually, look, I'd done first aid courses but years before and it just, you know, little things, like it was just that reminder that all I needed to do was, you know, keep him safe and keep his head safe and do all that sort of stuff. So there were 25 family members standing around. We were at Brisbane Airport on on our way to a family holiday and he dropped like a stone right in front of me and everything I'd read in your book just went straight into my brain and I just went, right, I know what to do right now and it was awesome. And everyone else stood around going, what's going on? (laughs) Oh, that totally makes it all worth it, really. Good, 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 good. But this next moment in time is all about you, Andy, and I want to thank you for coming on. I basically will start with what is the diagnosis that you have lived with? How long ago was this diagnosis, you know, given to you and a brief description of what it is? It's pretty bloody straightforward. The doctors would have called my condition obesity. I was fat, basically. (laughs) And still am a bit, but you know, not bad fat. It's all good. 
so we probably became friends when we were about 11 and that was around the time I hit puberty and every year from there on I just kept putting on a couple of kilos just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you know by the time I was 15 or 16 I'd been to Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers I'd had hypnotherapy to reduce my appetite I'd been on weight loss pills I'd done you know like literally as an adolescent with a growing body I was doing all this shit to myself with support and blessing from my parents and GP and and whatnot and getting all kinds of hideous messages about my body image and how I looked and I was self-soothing with food so I just kept getting bigger and bigger. So can you pinpoint because I, I was also quite an overweight teenager I don't remember you being as big as you say that you were and I don't remember you being overweight at all so there you go how funny is that was there something because I know where my body image stuff started from was there a significant point in your younger life which you can remember was a catalyst for you going I'm just going to eat to soothe this oh I, I have absolute like there are very particular memories that I have where I felt absolute shame about myself as an adolescent. There was a moment where I was holidaying with my family in Surfers Paradise and there was a heap of kids from our school. We were all, you know, and we were all just hanging out together and walking the street. We were walking along and, you know, Surfers is full of high rises and whatever and there was this bunch of teenage boys, you know, and I would have been maybe 12 or 13 bunch of teenage boys hanging out their balcony window in their high rise and we were walking past you know and they're all wolf whistling and cat calling and at the time I actually didn't mind that it was nice to get a bit of positive attention until one of them yelled out oh check out the fat one in the blue t-shirt and I looked down and looked around and realized they were talking about me oh brutal yeah absolutely and it was devastating it was absolutely devastating. You know, it's it's fun. Like that kid would have forgotten that comment five minutes later. But here I am, however, you know, 30-something years later, and it's I still remember that moment. Another one was when a guy who I really liked when I was a teenager, and he knew I really liked him, and we were good mates as well. And he sat me down and he said, you know, Andy, I think you could be really attractive if you lost some weight. And I know at the time that he was trying to be kind um, and he was saying nice things like you got such a pretty face and things like that. And he was he was trying to do a, a kind thing. And it was, again, one of those moments that I have carried with me ever since. It was, and even, you know, people who love you and care for you can say shit. Um, and the other, I don't think anything I'm saying, I, I reckon there's, you know, probably a significant percentage of your listeners, as opposed to other guests that you have who might be talking about unusual kind of conditions or illnesses or whatever. What I'm talking about, I think, is very much human condition. And I think lots of people struggle with, with their body image, whether it's because they haven't got enough muscles or they're too short or they're too fat or they're not pale enough or, you know, whatever it is, or they don't like their hair or their pimples. That whole sense of self and who I am. And like you were saying before, like we were discovering about each other, other people don't necessarily notice it to the same degree that you do. 
That's right. We're we're terrible critics of ourselves. Well, I can't mm. talk for everyone, but um, you know, I know a lot of my friends uh, are. I I am myself, and I see. Um, I guess they call it body dysmorphia. You look in the mirror and you see something completely different to actually what you look like. Like I've looked at photos of myself back in that day and went, oh, you know, there was there was that teenage chubbiness, yeah, but not at the time. I thought it was fat, and and that was also like you're saying, it got reflected back to me by dudes our age that thought we were fat because we didn't look like the playboy women that were in the mags that they were probably wanking to so you know like fucking whatevs yeah so you from a young age then carried this image of yourself and I guess Jenny Craig all these weight loss things did you go to the gym yep and nothing was working and do you do you understand as an adult why that probably why it didn't work Probably because, A, what would it mean for it to work? Like my body is the shape it is for a reason. And at the time, you know, again, like you you, like you were saying, I look back at photos of myself at the time. I was healthy. I was fit. I was definitely curvier than the average teen girl I was friends with. But, oh, my God, what I wouldn't do for that figure now, like that I had then, because I was fine. I was absolutely fine. What age were you when you, you know, you decided that you needed to just start accepting in your teenage years you had significant diet and body dysmorphia? Did that carry into your 20s, into your relationships? Oh, 100%. 100%. And, and especially because I did continue to gain weight and I did continue to get bigger in a very unhealthy way. And, you know, I got to 110 kilos and I'm five foot five. So I was big. I was a big girl. When you say you did it in an unhealthy way, what do you mean by that? In, in that, first of all, that, that it got to a stage where the actual weight gain was unhealthy. You know, I found myself looking at sort of population health studies and whatnot. I was at higher risk of heart conditions, higher risk of diabetes, higher risk of various cancers. All those sorts of things were really unhealthy. But also the way I, the, my relationship with food was very unhealthy because it became shameful. So I would, you know, drive to Macca's and get a couple of burgers and then drive to a little quiet street and sit and eat. Lots of shame eating, lots of sneaky eating. I still ate in front of other people, but then I ate all by myself. Ah, oh, you did that. Okay. Do you think that was a way of, you know, self-harming? You know, like in this day and age, self-harming is a lot more obvious, like with cutting and things like that. For you, was that a way of harming yourself I actually for me it it was kind of the opposite for me it was self-soothing food was comfort and it still is you know food is eating is is a is a lovely sensation especially eating you know high sugar and high fat you know chocolate and ice cream is got has got to be my favorite thing to eat for me it was about it was it was an attempt to care for myself rather than to harm myself in all this weight gain, what time frame are we talking about? Are we talking about early 20s and had you had relationships? Did you find men that did find you attractive? Um, sort of through my 20s, through my teens and 20s, first of all, I was not the girl that the boys chased. I had to do the chasing if I wanted to get into a relationship. I'm still doing it, Andy. It's fucking annoying. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was ballsy and gutsy enough to get guys' phone numbers and make the calls myself and ask them out. And sometimes it 
worked and sometimes it didn't because otherwise I'd be sitting at home. So towards the end of my 20s, I met the guy who I ended up as my long-term partner and he's now my husband. But I was probably in around sort of 90-something kilos when we got together and then I felt so happy and sort of settled in that relationship. I felt so comfortable and accepted that I didn't give a shit about what I ate. I just ate more because it was lovely and I was having a great time and I got up to about 100 kilos. He didn't have an issue with it. I actually said to him, you know, I feel so comfortable with you that I'm just, you know, I'm actually stacking on weight. I said, you know, since we've been together, I've put on about 10 kilos and he went, that concerns me purely from a health perspective. He's a guy who's got um, a long-term congenital heart condition. So he works bloody hard to keep himself healthy and fit because he just can't afford not to because his heart won't take it. So he's very concerned about health and was quite concerned about that statement I made and said, whoa, we could do something about that. For him, he absolutely found me attractive at a larger weight. And that was so validating. And so, you know, one of the things I loved about him it's quite beautiful, actually, that he wanted to educate you on a different level than what other people had been educating you on, as that it was ugly and revolting and, you know, but but he was coming from a health perspective, which is, is an amazing thing to do. Mm. So what was the turning point for you where you actually listened to him and what, what, what were the steps that you took from that? So we had a couple of kids when they were still quite little. I had a bit of depression. I was struggling with with my mental health and my mood and went along to see a psychiatrist who had been recommended very highly by friends. And um, he kept saying to me, Andy, you know, I think, you know, he's, he could be saying, he said, you're not going to buy me a Lamborghini, Andy. You're just not that mentally ill. <laughs> um, you're actually quite well and adjusted and and you're doing okay, and this is a blip, and life is stressful at the moment. You've got two little kids, he said. But to be honest, I reckon you need to lose weight. And this was coming from a psychiatrist, and he said, I think you need to get lap band surgery. And I just went, excuse me? Like I was floored and furious, and I thought, how fucking inappropriate. And I, in my professional life, have worked in a mental health setting, and never in a million years would I have suggested anything like that to one of my clients did you tell him at the time he that was you thought you thought that was out of line or did you did you take it on and then leave and have a reaction to that afterwards I didn't quite know how to react in the moment and then I, I left that appointment and felt like no I think you're wrong about that and I actually went back for a couple of more sessions and said no I don't think that's what it's about and then I just realized that he was shit and I didn't <laughs> I just didn't want to keep seeing him but he'd put this little nugget in my brain. So I kind of, you know, put that away, stopped seeing him. And it was probably, you know, a couple of months later that I was in a shop with my daughter who would have been, I don't know, about 18 months old at the time. And so I was carrying her in my arm. It was a spring and, and probably mid-20s. And as I would do at the time when it was mid-20s, I was sweating like a pig because I just couldn't. Uh, my body hated the heat. So I'm carrying this kid and I was carrying a bag and I needed to get something out of my bag to get the shop. So I just popped her down on the floor and squatted down so I could rummage in my bag. And one of the shop assistants came running up to me and said, hey, are you okay? And I said, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Why? She said, oh, I just thought, I thought you were having a heart attack. <gasps> oh, my God. Because she saw this very pale, 
very clammy, sweaty woman all of a sudden dropped to the floor and she was concerned. And I, that, that for me was a massive moment where I just went, fuck, I am not going to live to see my grandchildren if I don't do something about this. That's when the lap band comment came back to me and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll have a look, I'll check it out, I'll do some research. And probably about six months later, that's what I ended up doing. I never went back to that psychiatrist because I still think he was completely out of line. But, yeah, that's that's what I ended up doing. And I was about 110 kilos by that stage. Had he put you on medication? For my depression, no. No, he, I didn't. I wasn't on, on medication at the time. I don't think. I mean, I am now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of a holistic approach to mental health and whatnot, and so I, I have no qualms with having medication as part of the mix. Okay, so so there were no pharmaceuticals at the time. And, and what's involved in a lap band surgery? Well, basically it's a surgery where there's lots of surg- different surgeries that you can have these days which restrict your capacity to eat or to digest food in, in, in some way. But lap band was the one that I liked the look of. What it basically does um, is imagine your stomach is a blown-up balloon and then imagine squeezing the very top of that balloon with your with your fingers like a donut, and it creates a little bubble at the top, and that becomes your new stomach capacity. Wow, so tiny. Portion control, we're talking. Exactly. It's a built-in portion control. And what I liked about it is that it wasn't cutting away any parts of my anatomy. It wasn't changing any parts of my anatomy. If I ever one day decide to have it out, my body will physiologically be exactly how I was born. Another thing I really liked about it is that donut at the top that's holding the little stomach, it still has an opening so that the food can get through to be digested. But it is actually like a donut and it's filled with saline. And that saline donut has a little tube coming from it to a port that just sits under the muscle of my stomach. So I can just with a little injection from someone who knows what they're doing, I can add or take away a bit of saline, which tightens it or loosens it very, very simply. So, for example, if I was what I I found out the hard way, that travelling on overseas flights where you go up very high in the air and the air pressure changes significantly and it makes my lap band way too tight. So before I go on flights, I have to have it loosened. Um, Otherwise... Yeah, otherwise what? So what does a tight lap band actually do? Does that mean you just can't eat anything? So if that little stomach isn't letting any of the chewed food through, then it starts to pile up into my esophagus and it's like the world's worst heartburn and reflux. So basically it has to, I have to vomit it up. And so I can't swallow anything if the lap band's too tight. Right. Fascinating. And, and how many years have you had it in there now? So that was November 2007. So that's almost exactly 14 years now. And do you feel like you're you're at a weight now that you just are really happy with and you don't want to rock the boat? This is it. You're going to keep it in there? Uh, yes, is the answer. Basically, the, the anecdotally, well, first of all, I know lots of people who've had lap bands and who haven't had the, the positive outcome that, that I've had. So it's not for everyone, but I've been one of the lucky ones who's actually managed to use it to get myself to a healthy weight. Um, although technically, if you look at the BMI studies, they still they still describe me as obese at the weight I am now. But I'm actually healthy. The, the, the biggest 
thing for me was when the, the doctor who has been managing my checkups and stuff for the lab band, the doctor, so she knows about such things. I got to a BMI uh, or body mass index or whatever, where she said, your risk for, you know, cancer, diabetes, heart conditions, whatever, is now the same as the general population. And that for me was huge. Just all those, you know, getting back to a situation where my weight wasn't contributing to the likelihood of me becoming ill or not being able to, you know, parent my children. So that was huge. At a more superficial level, just being able to shop at normal clothing stores, being able to walk into any clothing store and be, you know, I go for the large and the extra large sizes there, but I couldn't even consider shopping at a normal clothing store before. Let alone buying online. Good God. Oh. Complete <laughs> head fuck that is, yeah. right? For for you not for a not average sized woman. That's right. You know? So what are some of the negative things that can happen that can go wrong with lap bands? Well, look, lots of things. Um, there are people who have complications with the, the surgery in the first place, people who, you know, within weeks of having their first surgery have to go back in to get things removed or fixed or whatever, which is, you know, it's pretty major surgery. So I was lucky I didn't have to deal with any of that. Everyone I've spoken to who's had a lap band has had a really different experience with it. For me, it's really affected my what I can eat with my diet. So it's not just the quantity, it's the it's the texture and quality of the food. But, all right, this is kind of a gross thing to ask you to, to imagine, but if you imagine what bread is like after you've chewed it and, and it's got lots of saliva in there and it's kind of like a, like a stodgy, bulky kind of stopper, <laughs> that sitting in your esophagus, I can't do really much bread at all or biscuits or anything like that. Sometimes I, I say to myself, oh, fuck it, it's worth it. I'll, I'll probably have to chuck it up later. But, God, I really want that piece of cake or whatever it is. But so I struggle with sort of those sort of heavy, stodgy, carby things. I, I can't eat a steak, you know, or any kind of like red meat like that. I could eat um, uh, like minced meat. You know, some of the difficulties with it is that it, you know, can change what you can eat. You know, a common thing is, is a lot of vomiting. And I still do have a fair bit. Vomiting, and that um, means I have to be on a medication that stops any kind of burning of my esophagus. What's that called? It's called Nexium. Okay, that's for reflux, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And part of the problem is, is if you don't have as much food and the same variety of food going in, then it can impact on things like um, your nutritional status. So I really struggle to keep my iron levels up because I'm having trouble eating red meat. And I've always had difficulty keeping my iron levels up at the best of times. So I have every couple of years I'll have an iron infusion. Yeah, so so it's different for different people. So the beautiful thing, though, Andy, is that as you've gone along, you've learnt what you can contribute to keeping this in place because this is something that you're enjoying. It's working for you. And I guess you can never take for granted that everything's going to work all the time as you, as we age and, you know, things like that. So you're also taking re- responsibility with lifestyle choices as well, such as diet. What about exercise? Oh, if, certainly every health care provider I've ever spoken to has been very encouraging of me to 
doing a bit more exercise and my husband too. I I just hate it. I really hate it. But but you know, every now and again I'll do the couch to five K and I'll get there and and then I you know, and then winter comes and it's too cold and you know, and then I end up back on the couch. You know, I have a, a fraught relationship with exercise, but every now and again I give it give it a go. It's not really me. I think fortunately things have changed and there's a whole lot of media I mean you know it hasn't completely changed it probably hasn't changed enough but there are certainly people out there there are role models and you know people like Lizzo um, who is you know you watch the dance routines she does for like 40 minutes on stage and, and singing at the same time and rapping and and doesn't lose a beat she's fit and healthy and big and fabulous and so there's all these different kinds of um uh, media representations at the moment, which really influences, I think, how kids can feel about themselves. And she could twerk like a motherfucker. She can. Unbelievable. Better than I can. But but having said that, so, so for me with my kids, I very much try and focus on talking about being healthy. It's not about how you look. It's not about what size clothes you wear. It's about having a healthy diet and having, you know, a range of colours on your plate so that, you you know, you maintain, you know, a reasonable level of health. So moving forward, are you exactly where you want to be or is, is there still things that you need to address psychologically about this for yourself? I think I see myself physically in the healthiest light I ever have since hitting puberty. You know, I have no issues with putting on, a, you know, a size 18 pair of bathers and going to the beach because I feel fantastic. I feel healthy and comfortable. And ultimately, I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks about how I look, except possibly my husband. And he loves the way I look. I'm a bit anxious about generally the messages I'm potentially sending with this podcast, though, because I know that there are plenty of people, friends of mine, who are big, curvy, fabulous, and healthy, physically and psychologically healthy women. I don't at all want to come across as being fat shaming or that this is about, you know, demonising people for being, you know, lazy or eating the wrong things or whatever. That That's 100% not what this is about. This is just about what was right for me with my health and my self-perception. Yes, exactly. That's all it is. And, and I guess it, it, this is about what worked for you, what makes you feel healthy, what um, through your lenses you, um, you, you know, you, you can have, find acceptance within, within your, and we'll call it a diagnosis because obesity yeah. is, is a health issue. It's such a shit word though, obesity, because when, when, when I think of the word obesity, I think of like morbidly obese. I don't look at the BMIs. I think the BMIs are a load of shit, really. Yeah. To me, I personally, I have one item of clothing that I put on, and if I don't fit into that, then I know I have to fucking stop eating. <laughs> yep, and I do. I do it by that now. The scales are kind of out the window, although I check in every now and then. Is it a piece of clothing that it changes depending on if it's just come out of the dryer or? <laughs> No, it's depending on how much chocolate I eat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the last, well, yeah, the last question to ask is, would you say that you love your diagnosis? Would you say that you love now, love the fact that you can identify as having an issue with your weight and totally own it? I, look, to be honest, I don't know that I have 
positive or a negative relationship with that kind of diagnosis. Because like you say, you know, the BMI is a load of shit unless you're just talking. For me, it's about my own personal fluctuations that does, it just gives me an, an indicator on a scale about where I'm at. You know, do, do, do I love the fact that I've been a person with obesity in my life? Probably not. Life probably would have been easier and perhaps more fun if I hadn't been. But, you know, there's so many what ifs and, you know, would I be with the husband I'm with now who, you know, I adore and have the kids I've got now who I adore and, you know, maybe things would have been different if I had been a different shape. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel, I don't hate it, but I don't love it. It's just, it just is. And if anyone's listening, because this is not gender specific, this goes out to all the 48 different genders that they're registered now. You know, for anyone thinking of maybe getting a lap band or, or in the same position that you were in, any advice, any tips? Absolutely. I think get more than one opinion, see more than one surgeon. Uh, if you've got a good, ideally, you've got a good relationship with a GP who can talk to you about a range of options and send you to some different people. So the first, the first surgeon I went and saw, um, I said to him, I'd really quite like to talk to some people who've had it, people who've had positive experiences, but also people who've had hiccups along the road. Is can you hook me up with that at all? He said, Sure, sure. Ask the girls at reception; they'll 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 make that happen. So I did, and not only did I never get a call from anyone, I never got a call back from them to follow up and how are you doing? Have you made a decision? Whatever. So back to my GP I go, and she put me on to another surgeon who had a completely different ethos. They wouldn't, the surgeon wouldn't even have a meeting with you until you'd been to two of their information evenings with, where they had speakers and people who'd had it and also, you know, information from nurses about how the surgery goes and all that sort of stuff. And I said to them, look, I've actually already seen a surgeon and I've, you know, this is, do I really need to do that? They said, you absolutely do. And they also guarantee that after you've had your surgery, that you can go back every week, every six months, every year, whatever, till the rest of the rest of your life and you will always be bulk billed because they want to encourage people to maintain a relationship um, and to stay, you know, involved and, and, and keeping on top of what's happening with their health and their diet and their flat band. And so now, yeah, if I ever need an adjustment or just want to talk to somebody about, you know, an issue I'm having, I go, I, I see my my doctor who by training is a GP but she specializes in this area and and I get bulk billed and I can do that for the rest of my life whereas that first surgeon you know there's no follow-up and you know and I think that makes a huge difference is the quality of care that's great it's been a common theme in my in all of the interviews that I've done is really about the professionals the health professionals Thanks for sharing because, you know, that, you, that, that could be a shaming thing as well, but you're loud and proud and doing this. And, and, and I'll just share with the listeners, we used to, we used to think um, Andy was the Molly Ringwald of our school. For anyone that grew up in the 80s, you'll know who Molly Ringwald is. She was like the hot bitch of the, of the movie world and, and most of us thought that Andy had it. That was her doppelganger. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time out from, from Saving the Planet to, to tell your story because there, there would be lots of people in your same similar situation just maybe not talking about it as openly and confidently as you as well. And look, if people are interested in asking me questions or anything like that, I'm happy for you to put my Facebook handle on on the podcast or whatever. And um, 
I'm not necessarily going to become your Facebook friend, but I'll, you know, I'll answer messages and stuff like that. Beauty, we'll put that in the link. And, and any links, any any links to things that helped you, um, I might mm. grab off. All right, well, let's wrap that up uh, or lap it up. Yeah. <laughs> and you've been planning that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Thanks, Lainey. It's nice to chat with you. Really nice. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is proudly produced by me. Well, that was interesting. So Andy seems to be really, really, really accepting of the fact that her body shape and her body is what it is, which for a lot of ladies is really difficult to achieve uh, just because of what society puts onto us about what is beauty. For Andy, in her life, like a lot of teenagers, they try everything and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Really, it's about what you put in, you get out as well. In Andy's case, she has a bit of an aversion to exercise, but she's okay with that. And sometimes she does it and sometimes she doesn't. For a lot of other people, exercise is a huge part of their life and that's how they want to uh, keep their weight down. For Andy, she found grace in getting a lap band surgery which is a little saline ring that is put around the top of her stomach. It basically deals with portion control, so she can't eat as much and she can't eat the things that she probably could without the lap band. It's working for her retreat. There are side effects for other people. It doesn't work for everyone, but for those that it does, it really is life-changing because you can still have that relationship to food, but then it's not all about, in Andy's case, about shame and you know just loving food and wanting to eat it all the time she can still love food and eat but she just has to be more careful about what she eats and the lap band basically controls it so that's really good and it's a bit of a win for her she did say that anyone could contact her so I'll put her details in the podcast notes and if anyone wants to ask questions because they're thinking of doing it themselves please get in touch with her If you like what you've heard today, leave a review. You've taken the time to listen. You may as well have a chat about it and put it on Apple Podcasts because then my rating will go up like my sex drive when I see a review that's a good one. If you enjoyed today's show, at this stage, all you have to do is listen and tell your friends about it because there could just be a story on here that they've got diagnosed with or that they can relate to where they get to think outside the square. And a few seeds might be planted in their brains about other ways of dealing with it besides just what the original diagnosis and prognosis is. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn a little bit more about other options for what you can utilize for your wellness journey, click on the link below to the Happy Herb Company. They've got lots of amazing products to assist in getting you started in your wellness journey. Thanks again for listening. I'm Lainey Chase.